You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. So many years ago, it feels like a lifetime ago, I spent a summer in New Braunfels at a Christian camp called T-Bar-M. Some of you know about it. Some of you have been there. Um, I spent a summer there from May till August coaching tennis. And uh, during that time, we had uh, one particular family that stood out in my memory, a family from Colorado that they had come. And their youngest son, his name was Benny. They had two older kids. Uh, Benny had just turned seven. So he was basically a six-year-old still, but his parents had figured it out that I think the dad more talked the mom into it, but that they were going to leave the kids there for the week, and um, Benny was going to be in my cabin, and that poor mom, the tears just flowing down her cheeks, and I looked at her and I said, he will never leave my sight, I promise you, I've got Benny. I've got him covered. I'll keep him safe. Don't worry. He's going to be with me. And I remember uh, Benny was this great little guy. You know, he's just a wonderful little guy. And we went floating down the Comal River. And uh, I told Benny, you hold on to my raft and I'm going to hold on to yours. And we're going to make it through this. And there was really only a couple of sections floating down there where you could really get into trouble, you know, and they tried to scare you to death. Like if you, if you flip over here, you get trapped underneath the tree and the water will hold you under. And sure enough, right as we're heading into the worst of the worst section, Benny gets loose. And I mean, I'm telling Benny, cup your hands, Benny, you know, do, do, do this. And Benny's just doing this. He's just, just waving his hand, just splashing. And I just said a prayer. I'm like, I promised, Lord, I promised her I wouldn't let her son out of my sight. And he's going into the rapids by himself. And as I said a prayer, Benny just floated right down the middle of the river the whole time. And I thought, oh, gosh, Lord, even when I can't be there, when I can't hold on and protect, you've got Benny. And if he left my sight, he didn't leave yours. You've got him. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms, and we're going to start with the most famous one, Psalm 23, a psalm that speaks of God as shepherd, as the one who has his eye on you. And as we read this, that is so very familiar to us, I want you to try to forget that you know these words and listen as the voice of your shepherd through the pages of Scripture comes into your life in a very specific and powerful way this morning. It's been said that the Psalms not only speak to us, they speak for us. And so when you don't know what to pray, sometimes pulling out the book of Psalms and asking God to help you know how to pray, you can pray the Psalms. And Psalm 23 is one of the most beautiful Psalms that you can pray. And as you hear this, I want you to know we are not looking at a historical narrative. We're not looking at an epistle. We're looking at Hebrew poetry. And that matters. It matters because how you understand Scripture is first and foremost, not what is it saying and how does it apply to me, but what was it saying to the original audience, the first readers of this? How did they understand it? What did it mean to them for these words to be read to them? 
And then we find universal truths out of those words that they would have understood. We find universal truths about who God is, about how the world works, about who we are. And then we make application. We make application to our here and now lives. And so as we read this, I want you to know that there's kind of a roadmap that we'll be looking at today. And here's how the roadmap looks in Psalm 23. First and foremost, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd. He is my shepherd. We're going to be looking at that as we look at this psalm. We're also going to look at what it means that he's our shepherd because he leads me into wholeness. He leads me into wholeness. And then finally, he protects me and he provides for me all the days of my life. Now, that's going to be important for us to keep in mind as you hear this sermon And I want you to know this. The Lord knows exactly where you are today. He knows the story of your life from beginning till end. He knows your now better than you know it. And so I want you to sit forward in your mind, a posture of expectation that God actually wants to say something specific to you today. You're not here by accident. The sovereign guiding hand of the universe also guides you into the very moment that you're in, the seat that you're sitting in, because he wants to speak to you today. And so I want your posture to to be one like this. Father, I want to hear your voice. I'm eager to hear what you want to say to me, whether that's a word of building up, whether that's a word of uh, rebuke in my soul today, whether that's a word of rest, whatever that word is, I want to hear you as my father speaking to me on Father's Day. What a gift to know him as our father. Well, let's start with this, that Psalm 23 is part of a trilogy. Most scholars who read and study the Psalms at a very high level understand that Psalm 23 is really part of a trilogy. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 are really like one big message to us. Psalm 22 is the psalm that speaks about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. It's a prophetic psalm about what would come someday as Jesus would lay his life down as the good shepherd. He would pay our debts. Psalm 23 speaks about how as those who are the redeemed, we are cared for all the days of our life by a good, loving shepherd. Psalm 24 speaks about how he will come again someday. The king of glory is coming. And so when you look at this psalm, this one that is so well known, understand this. It's part of a group, one that looks back at the sacrifice paid, one that looks around at our here and now, and one that looks forward into the future when we enter into his presence in the fullness of who he is, our shepherd who brought us from death into life. In that context, the greater sense of his view of your life will help you understand your here and now. And you're going to need that. Well, David starts off with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me just stop for a moment and consider what is being said by this. First, you need to know that the Lord is my shepherd is actually Jehovah Ra'ah. Now, why do we need to know that? 
Because it, it is the idea of Jehovah. He is the I am who shepherds me. For me, I, I used to be a student at Dallas Seminary. I used to be a child growing up in Salina. I am a resident of Georgetown. I will be the Lord knows what in the days on the earth until I go to heaven. So I have an understanding of what I used to be, what I am, and what I will be for Him. He always I am. He is always I am. Meaning the past, eternity past, is exactly the same as right now for the Lord as eternity future. He is always the I am. He's not used to be, is now, and will be. He is absolutely the great I am. Him, uh, he can see all of it in one moment. He is present in all of it at this very moment. He sees it all, and he is my shepherd. Golly, that's a pretty amazing thought. He who can see from eternity past to eternity future also understands how to care for me as a shepherd in my right now. Now that's an important thing for us because we tend to see snapshots, small little parts of this and that. We don't understand the big picture of what God's at work doing in my life and in the uh, universe. We don't understand it. The things that are seen, the things that are invisible to us. He who sees it all is the shepherd of my soul. And that's a pretty awesome thought. But it also reveals something wonderful about who God is because David used to be a shepherd. David writes this as someone who understands what it means to be a shepherd. And it's a pretty disgusting job. It's a very hands-on job. I wonder if God's a good shepherd. I think God is probably a good shepherd. I know David was a good shepherd. Jesus said that he is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. What would a good shepherd do? If you were a sheep and you had a good shepherd, what are some of the things that would be assumed about your situation? Well, you would have protection at a very high level. You'd have a wise shepherd who understood how to see to it that I was not only safe, but fed. That I was also cared for if I had cuts and nicks and bruises. And apparently these flies would get all up in the nasal cavities. And any cut that was untended to, these flies would get in there, lay their eggs, and you would have a terrible, disgusting problem going on. And so a wise shepherd would know how to care for the nicks and the scrapes and the bruises of their sheep. A wise shepherd would know how to come and find me if I wandered off. God is a good shepherd. He understands the condition of every single person who is His own. He gets His hand on you often and examines your heart, your life, your nicks, your bruises, your scrapes. He is a good shepherd who understands how to keep you well fed, how to keep you safe in the midst of danger that you don't even know is there. He knows it's there and He's watching out for you. But this says something wonderful about God, and I'll tell you what else it says. It says a lot about how David sees himself. It's not a terribly flattering thing when you start to understand that God is my shepherd means that I am his sheep. 
And as a sheep, I don't have sharp teeth whereby to bite. I don't have claws whereby to protect myself. I don't have that. I'm not super fast so I can outrun something that might want to eat me. I'm not the sharpest animal in the field. I've got a couple of things going for me as a sheep, and it ain't much. I've got a herding instinct to be near other sheep. I've got a desire to be connected to other sheep. And I've got a shepherd. And that alone are the only two advantages that they really need. I like what Kevin Lehman says about sheep. Kevin Lehman in his book called The Way of the Shepherd, a book that I read often once a year or so. He says, sheep do not take care of themselves as one might think. More than any other class of livestock, they need constant attention and need endless care. Their lot in life depends almost completely on the person who owns them. So sheep are not super flattering to be compared to. You're never going to find a team mascot that, you know, you go to the high school and we're playing, you know, the Hutto sheep today. I, although we do have the Hutto hippo. It's a little strange to me, but okay. You know, they go with that. At least it's not a sheep, right? No, you're never going to find that mascot. You'll find some strange ones, but you're not going to find sheep because nobody's like, you know what really inspires everybody to, to fear us as a team? Kind of gives us a victory just by its name is the, the sheep. You're not going to find that. Nobody wants to be compared like that except for David. Because David understands something about God as a great shepherd, I as his sheep. This is a very, very hands-on, intimate relationship. The Lord, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the great I am, shepherds my soul. And I am honored, privileged to be his sheep. To be his lamb. I wonder if you know that. If you believe that. I mean, it's one thing to know something. It's quite another to believe this. Right? That you could know. Okay, yeah. I mean, I believe that. Sure. God's my shepherd. Okay. But have you experienced that? Is it your reality that God is your shepherd, that He sees your life, understands who you are at a level that you could not begin to understand. Just read Psalm 139 about God's understanding of who you are. Read that and understand that this great shepherd is at work caring for your life in all its various chapters. I've got a, a friend his name's Mike Kalmansberger. Mike goes by the, his email and his even among a group of friends, about 150 friends, they call him Mike 12E. Mike 12E. Why? Well, because he was on the flight that went down in the Hudson. You can guess what row and seat he was in. 12E. His life changed that day. And... and I'll bet you can't name the seat you last sat on in your, in your airplane. You know why? Why would you? Nothing eventful happened. And you know what Mike said? He was there actually the night that Monica and I met, or the night that we noticed each other, I guess you want to say. He was there sitting across the table for, from us. Um, 
Mike said, you know, the funny thing about the, when the flight attendant gets up and starts to explain how if you go over water, you can use your seat as a, you know, a floating device, you can pull the thing over. He said, I just always ignored those because I don't need that information. We were flying from New York to South Carolina. We weren't really going to be over the water for any appreciable amount of time. So why do I need to hear about what happens if the plane goes down in water, the unlikely event? He said, so I just blew them off. He said, I don't blow them off anymore. I need that insight. So there's certain knowledge that you have that you just don't think you're ever going to need. And there's every now and then a time when that knowledge you didn't think you were going to need becomes life and death for you. And here's what I want you to hear. You may know the words of this psalm, but I want you to believe in your soul. I want you to know that this is real life living implications about how you make choices, about how you see your past, your now and your future. The living God who watches over you is your shepherd. He cares for you. And this is something that you need to know and that you need to believe. I find it interesting when I think about this because I think, I know you're a good shepherd, Lord. I know that you are a good shepherd. What kind of sheep am I? <laughs> what manner of sheep am I? Am I that one that just continually wanders off and you're going to come looking for me? I mean, that one that kind of has a know-it-all, kind of know, I can, I can defend my, I'm pretty quick. These little hopes can run, I can see, I can dodge, I can, is that the manner in which I live my life? As if I didn't have a shepherd, and what's more, I don't even need one. I know how to navigate. Proverbs 26 tells this story on and on and on about the fool, about the, how the fool, uh, like, his back is for the whip because he won't listen. A fool, someone who hires a fool is like a person who hires an archer that's shooting at everybody. A fool returns to his folly. And then it says in verse 12, See a man that's wise in his own eyes. There's more hope for a fool than for him. Because he's a know-it-all. He's just a know-it-all. He doesn't need any advice. Listen, there is a great gift that God will give us if we're listening. I'm your shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. I know things about your care that you don't. I have a good path to lay out in front of you. I know how to take even the worst of the worst in your life and turn it for good. Listen to me. Follow me. Trust me. Well, what does our good shepherd do? Well, it says in the next verses, it says, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And so I want you to picture like this. This is what I think he's saying in these words, I shall not want. Because you may say, well, he's my shepherd, but I have lots of wants and they're unmet wants. No, it's the idea that you will not go without what you need. So if a soldier gets trained up and sent out to war, the Army, the Marine Corps, they will make sure he has, she has whatever they need to engage that battle. If they need an MRE, something to eat, they've got it. If they need boots, they've got it. If they need gun and ammunition, they've got it. He's my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I will not go without what is needed. 
might go with some things that I, without some things I wanted, but the Lord will decide what is needed and He will provide those. That's how He operates as our shepherd. Well, I want you to see what He does. It says in verse 2 that He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You can see the the very picturesque words there in verse 2. Green pastures, still waters. The thing about this passage is you might be picturing Israel as this really vast pasture land. It's not. There would be pockets that the shepherd alone would know about, that he would lead them into this place that he knew about that the sheep would not know about. They're eating whatever they can find. He knows of something somewhere out in the distance that he has to lead them to that they can't see. They don't know where it's at, but he does. And he will lead them into this very tranquil, peaceful place. He will lead them where they would not take themselves. He can see over the horizon a good thing that he wants to give, and so he will lead them to it. Now, getting there will be through some treacherous rocky, dry areas. But because he knows what's going on, he knows where he's leading them, he will lead them. And if they trust him, they will find themselves in green pastures by still waters. This is a a great picture of how the Lord leads in our lives. And I want you to see the connectedness of this Hebrew poetry where it speaks about how he leads us. And I want you to see that he leads you to Three things in particular that are found here in these verses. He leads you first and foremost to rest. He leads you to restoration. And He leads you to righteousness. Let's start with the idea that He leads us to rest. He leads His beloved sheep, His beloved lambs into rest. This rest that He leads you into, that He would lead us into, that He longs to see us have, is a physical, emotional, and spiritual rest. He leads us into it. Now, I want to just ask you this question. When was the last time you were absolutely certain that God was leading you? Can you think of a moment where you go, Yeah, I am positive God led me in that moment. It should be a common occurrence for us as followers of Jesus, that we would know and sense what it is to be led by Him. Jesus is our good shepherd, and He will lead us into, first and foremost, physical rest. Physical rest. The nation of Israel had to learn this from their days coming out of Egypt, that one day a week you're going to take your foot off the accelerator, and you're going to not work, You're not going to travel and walk great distances. You're going to stay near home or in home with near neighbors and family members. And you are going to rest. You're just going to take it easy that day. You're not going to work. You're not going to work because you don't have to provide for yourself. God will let you work, but not on this day. And so when you're tempted to keep going... It's because you have not understood God as shepherd. You won't physically rest because you've got to get something done. 
There's too much that might get missed if you don't work. And so you keep going. Well, he says, no, I want, to, I want to lead you into rest. I want to lead you into a physical rest where you sleep in that morning, where you take a nap in the afternoon, where you sit back and you just take it easy. You watch Netflix and chill. Now, I know, I know that word doesn't mean what I think it means, but I'm telling you, there's a day when you're just supposed to take it easy, not keep going. Be present. It honors God as an act of worship for you to not work sometimes. To say, no, I know I could get more done. I know I could accomplish this. I know I could get a head start on that. But not today. Today is a day where I will learn to rest. Physically rest. But it's more than physical rest. It's also emotional rest. Here's what I mean by that. It's the rest from fear. I'm not afraid. You know, if we were a nation under attack, a nation at war, the anxiety would go up because, well, what if that army wins? And what would it mean? Oh, gosh, what if we became slaves? What if we became this? What if uh, we're under attack? We may get hurt. We may get whatever. Okay, if that army is defeated, then I can go, ah, I'm not afraid. I'm not looking around at the future with a fearful thought of, oh no, what if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? What would that lead to? That's emotional anxiety that keeps us anxiously moving about, white-knuckling, trying to control things, trying to manipulate things so that what? So that we can keep ourselves safe. I see a sheep under the shepherd that is God Almighty has freedom from that fear. They're not afraid. And so God will lead you into physical rest, but also into emotional rest, where you can look at the future with no fear. But also something really wonderful. He leads us into spiritual rest. You know, if you, if you just look at the words behind me, what did Jesus say? Hmm? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And Jesus had saw the masses and he felt compassion on them. He saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd is a pathetic and terrible, pitiable thing to look at. Uncared for. Heavy. With the weight of their fur, of their wool. Right? Flies buzzing all about them. You know, this is that time of year where you kind of hate taking the trash out, right? You know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by that. The flies are buzzing all around your trash can. It's disgusting. I'm like, man, I got teenage kids. Can't they take the trash out? Why do I got to do this? Well, that's what the sheep would look like. They're just all the time, heavy, weary, laden. But that's because they don't have a shepherd. We have a shepherd, and our shepherd says, come to me, I will give you rest. And that's exactly what he did. See, he is our rest. Our debt has been paid. We have a Savior who did all that needed to be done so that we could be made right with our Father in heaven. He paid the debt. It's the gospel. 
He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He treated him as if he was a sinner so that we could become in him the righteousness of God. Now, see, when you understand this, God's not mad at me. He's not disappointed with me. God is not expecting me to just jump through another hoop and another hoop and another hoop and just be this all-star, super-disciplined Christian. Listen, some people say, well, if you teach like that, people are going to go out and do whatever they want. No, they won't. They'll go out and do whatever He wants. Because once you understand that Jesus has paid your sin debt and that everything you need between you and your heavenly Father has been answered and resolved in its completeness by the Son, Jesus Christ, you find yourself spiritually exhaling and going, Really? Could it be that good? He loves me that much? Yes, He does. He gives spiritual rest. And so, why does He do it? He gives rest so that He might bring about restoration in our soul. Now, this is something that I just find so beautiful. Restoration. He's going to restore not just my physical body, but the inner man, the inner person inside of you. He's going to bring restoration into your soul. Doesn't that sound good? You ever watch those restoration shows? I mean, we all have, right? Where they take an old house and they restore it. And, you know, it, it's kind of beat up and torn up and all that. But boy, I'm telling you, within 30 minutes, you get to see the start to end process of something that took months. And you get to see something that was really in bad shape come into its great glory, even better than when it was first made. And you can't help but kind of really feel good about that. And God's at work restoring your soul. Now, before you start thinking that sounds fun, let me just tell you, I don't think I've ever seen one of those restoration shows, whether it was taking an old house or an old Corvette or taking an old Coke machine and restoring it. I don't think I've ever seen a single one of them where there wasn't some dismantling going on, where there wasn't some scraping, right? So when you come into seasons of rest... For the sake of God restoring your soul, He's going to take you back to basics. He's going to scrape off all of the dead, rotten stuff that doesn't belong there, clean you up, and He's going to bring you into greater understanding than you ever had before. And so when God restores my soul, if I understand this right, He's going to take me, He's going to scrub me clean, and He is going to get me in a place where I'm back to the basics. It's always this. It's always this. The gospel that saves you is the gospel that sanctifies you. Do you understand that? I didn't understand that for the longest time. The same gospel that I got saved by, that Jesus was more than a match for my sin, that He was more than willing to take my place, my guilt, my shame, He took that on Himself. The deeper I go into that, the deeper I can go into knowing and loving Him the fullness of His counsel. So as God gives you rest, He starts to restore your soul. And a good shepherd will not allow you to get run down like that without engaging you. Why does He do it? It's very obvious here. He says He leads us into paths of righteousness for His namesake. He leads us into paths of righteousness. 
It actually, if you would even see it correctly as it's in the Hebrew, it says he leads us into right paths. Right paths. So a shepherd understands the path that you need to take to get to where he's putting you and where he's taking you. He leads you into paths of righteousness. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the most frustrating things in the world would be this idea that someone restores a car so much that you can't even, it's perfect, it's pristine, don't drive it. Don't, don't, don't even look at it. You know, you're going to mess it up. Just don't, don't touch it. Don't, no. I'm like, well, why did you restore it? I mean, wasn't somebody supposed to drive it? Why'd you put all that energy and time into it if, you ever have that, like in the, your, the house you grew up in, where like the front room, living room furniture was so fancy, you weren't even supposed to touch it? You weren't supposed to sit on it? You would spill something on it? Most of the time, it was probably your parents, your grandparents that had that, that front room. Just too fancy. Okay, look, God restores you so that He can use you. As He takes you into paths of righteousness, He had every intention of using your restoration, your renewed heart, your rested heart. He intended you to go into the world for His namesake. See, you were created by God for God, for a purpose. And so the whole restoration process was so that you could carry out what should have happened in Genesis chapter 1, that they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to be God themselves. They wanted to be the boss themselves. And so the mission of God was put on pause. And then it took all of this that, that Jesus would finally come and that the mission of God would be carried out through the church we would become the ones who would fill the earth with the glory of God. God saved you and left you here that you might become a part of His mission, not some museum piece to be unused. He will give you rest. He will restore you, and He will send you into these paths of righteousness for His namesake. I think that's such a beautiful picture of what is being seen here in Psalm 23. One of those paths that he's going to lead you on is going to be really difficult for you to accept. It's going to be a path through the valley of the shadow of death. See, our Father is wise and good in ways that sometimes frighten me. The path that he will take me on might be a path over a mountaintop, where the views are beautiful, where I've worked hard to get there and I just want to sit there and take it in. It may be a plateau where you feel like nothing is happening. The scenery never changes. I walk, I walk, I walk, and it's all just the same. And then there's other times in your life where you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to be frightened. You're going to wonder if you've even lost track of your shepherd in the midst of that because the darkness will be so frightening to you. You'll wonder, does he see me? You'll wonder, does he know where I'm at? Look at what David says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he will not only lead me, but he will also protect me. He will protect me. And I want you to see this. We don't walk in the valley of death. 
we walk through it, and it's not a valley of death. It's a valley of shadow of death. The shadow of a dog cannot bite you. shadow of a sword cannot strike you. And the shadow of death cannot destroy you. And so here's how it looks, and here's how it works. Our great shepherd will allow us to go through these valleys where everything gets absolutely frightening. You'll feel disorientation. You'll feel like you've made a mistake and you just want to go back. You ever been in a, in a season where you think, gosh, let me retrace my steps a little bit. If I had turned left instead of right, I wouldn't be in this mess. If I had not done this and if I would have done that, maybe I wouldn't. Okay, listen, you can just forget all about that. The shepherd of your soul is with you in the valley of the shadow. And if you will remember him, if you will look to him, and if you can't even see him, just know that he's right there with you. Here's what's going to bring you peace. He's with you and he's well armed. This idea of a rod and a staff, it's, it's a fascinating thing to me that this rod was like a billy club, a foot and a half long, and at the end it had a gnarled branch-like thing, a root-like thing that they'd put like mud and plaster and bake it into place in this type of enamel that they'd put over it. And this rod was an offensive weapon. It was an extension of the arm of the shepherd. Whatever his stronger arm was, that's what the rod was in. The staff was there to stabilize. The staff was there to reach for things he couldn't reach. But the rod was certainly there as an offensive weapon to strike. And remember what David told King Saul when Saul was scared to death of Goliath? Nobody wanted to fight Goliath? What did David say? Don't be afraid, king. Now he's 16, 17 years. Don't be afraid, king. Your servant has fought with both the lion and the bear. And I have gone and I have killed them. I've rescued my lamb out of the mouth of the lion. And when the lion raised up against me, what does David say? I caught it by the beard. Now get this. He's got a lion by the beard. And I struck it. And I killed it. <laughs> you know, he's describing this is what a shepherd does. Your shepherd walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's got a rod. And he's got a staff. And He's right there with you in the middle of this. And I believe that what we're going through, what we'll see someday in heaven, is we'll say that the, the dash of our life, when the dates on your tombstone say June 28, 1969, and whatever the date is out here where the Lord's going to bring me home, that dash, these are the shadow lands. And I will look back at my life, at the end of my life, and I'll say, the Lord has been my shepherd. And He's protected me. He's protected my family. He's walked with me through dark times. He's shepherded me through those difficulties. He protected me. He sees dangers that I couldn't even imagine are right next to me. You have spiritual enemies. You have physical enemies. You have people that hate you. You have people for a moment that don't like you. You have God is with you in the valley. And if there is something that is threatening your life right now, if there's something that is threatening your, he your heart and your well-being, God's more aware of it than you are. Look to Him. Trust Him. He's with you. This won't last forever. You don't 
take up residence in this valley. You walk through it. I know you'd like to run through. You're called to walk through. You're not going to speed it up. It's going to be a one step at a time journey through that valley. What else does it say? You prepare. Now, I hope you picked up on this, the switch from verses 1 through 3 where he's speaking about he does this, he does that, and then verse 4 and 5, you. Very specific uh, speaking to God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. God is a gracious host. What? Yeah. God laying out a table in the presence of your enemies for you. Now, I got to admit that I kind of wrestled over this verse more than almost all of them this week because I couldn't understand. Well, I mean, if you want me to sit down and eat, could you just get rid of my enemies? <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the meal a whole lot more. But I mean, here's the point. It's an in-your-face <laughs> to your enemies when the God of all creation sits you down and doesn't say, no, 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 I don't have to get rid of them. In fact, I want them to see that you are safe in my care and that you will eat a banquet in front of them with no fear of them that I prepared for you. This is a beautiful idea that God doesn't need to take away the stresses and the enemies of your life for you to sit down in his presence and have full Fellowship with Him and goodness and feasting with Him. God is going to allow you to suffer at times, and God is going to show you that I had it all under control the whole time. And it says that He anoints my head. I want you to know this anointing is a picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon you. The presence of God being given to you to the point where your cup is not full. It's overflowing it's overflowing. It's more than what you thought you could ever possibly need. The Lord at work in your life as a gracious host. And so David ends it like this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It actually would read more like this. Surely your good mercy. So like one big word. Your good mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. And so I want you to see this. Not like, a, like a, a God's mercy sweeping up behind you. It's the idea that goodness and mercy is going to pursue you. It's going to pursue you every chapter of your life. God's good mercy will be pursuing you. You won't have to be chasing after God as someone who's not interested in you, trying to make sure that He loves you. His mercy is going to be pursuing you. His good mercy will be pursuing you all the days of your life. And guess what else it means? Generations after you will see that it's also following them. It will follow after them as well because it was in you. His mercy will pursue you. And in the generations to come, it will be at work in their lives as well. This is joy giving to me as a father on Father's Day. That I think about my children and I pray, God, I want them to know you. I want them to have more faith in you than I would ever have. More of a fruitful ministry in life than I've got right now. Would you give that to my children? And David says, this is what's going to follow me. God's mercy, God's good mercy, and it's going to follow in the generations that come after me. And then, 
I'll dwell in your house forever. <laughs> I'm going to go home and I'll never have to leave. I'll be safe in the house of God forever, for all of eternity. Now this, when did David write it? I suspect there's a lot of speculation about when God allowed David to write this. When did God allow him to see this? Speculations, different scholars had different ideas that maybe he wrote this on the run from Absalom. Most of them agree, though, that it was probably written at the end of his life as he reflected on the fact that he used to be a shepherd. And now as he came to the end of his life, you could see how God had shepherded him. You have an incredible gift in the Lord. You have one who understands you, who loves you, and is well-armed and walks beside you, in front of you, behind you, and he will shepherd you through the season that you're in and every season that is coming your way. How do we know this? Well, because our King Jesus, the great shepherd who laid down his life for us, has bought us with the price of his own life, that he could call us his own, and he's a good shepherd. He's laid down his life for us. That's why we take communion every week. Jesus said, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Just remember me. Remember what I've done for you, what I've given up for you. And don't walk on your own. Don't be a know-it-all who doesn't need a shepherd. We need him. And we have him. Pray with me.